0: We're in Romans 14. For those of you kind of new to Scripture, that's near the back of the Bible. uh, After Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, you'll find big book Romans, and that's where we're hanging out these days in Romans 14. Paul has been talking about in Romans 14 a growing uh, number of differences going on within the people of the church there, and uh, as a result, he exhorts them uh, to a new way of handling one another in love. And in our text today, he tells us why that's so important. Starting in verse 7, Paul says, "'For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living.'" May God bless the reading of his inspired and authoritative word. You may be seated. Well, sometimes cultures clash in unexpected ways. And uh, sometimes they clash in a way in our families and communities that throw everybody off. There was one kind of clash that happened this past NFL season that surprised a lot of people in terms of the culture that took place on the field. And that had to be around the matter of trash talking in the NFL. You see, trash talking is very common in any pro sport. And while I don't recommend it as a way of life or even doing sport, it is there, in fact, where the testosterone-driven men talk junk to try and get the head in the heads of their, op- of their opponents. But in this case, things came to a jarring change in the NFL when a certain player, all-pro quarterback Andrew Luck, started talking trash in a very different way. Apparently, according to Washington Redskins linebacker Ryan Kerrigan, In all the years of playing football, he has never heard anything like it, not even close. Uh, Most men are used to everybody talking junk to each other on the football field, but apparently Andrew Luck, when he is insulted or talked down, actually returns the talk in a mild-mannered and complimentary way, kind of like an elementary school teacher. He says things like, nice play, good job. Well done. Nice hit. And according to the players who play against him, this is really unnerving. (laughs) Once when New England's Rob Nikanovich pummeled Luck in a sack, Luck gave out well wishes to him, and Nikanovich said he found himself paralyzed with confusion (laughs) and even blurted out, Uh, thanks for accepting the hit. (laughs) (laughs) After defensive back Nolan Carroll hit him uh, to take him out, Luck responded, good job, and Carroll felt so out of sorts and even unnerved that he didn't know what to do next. It was a clash of cultures, a clash where a testosterone-driven high-powered, even insulting environment, is met with a Mr. Rogers version of sportsmanship. You know, while we experience a clash of cultures in in the world of trash talk, we may not experience that rather in the, on the football field, we do experience a clash of culture even in our own midst here and of all places, the church. Romans 14 is all about how the church is is a place where surprise clashes often show up and occur among Christians and particularly with regards to their lifestyles. And we should really expect as much. When Christ calls people to himself in the church, he often calls very different people with very different values and life rhythms together. This is fertile ground for conflicts, for differences, for clashes that go way beyond trash-talking styles. And Paul describes this very problem showing up in the church by, by telling the Roman church in Romans 14 on five occasions that they should not pass judgment on one another. Apparently, that's what was happening in the clashes is they were regularly passing judgment on these on each, on each other. And he says this to a people who come from very different ethnic backgrounds, very different politics, very different ways of handling life. Differences that can be so stark that passing judgment is hard not to do. So, In Romans 14, really, Paul is next getting at the question in our verses today of why we shouldn't judge each other so quickly when our differences bump into each other in Christian community. Paul's going to give us three big reasons why, and one big implication to tell us why we shouldn't be too quick to pass judgment on each other uh, with our various lifestyles and differences. Now, before we get to those differences, we need to consider how we get to this point, uh, how the problem of judgmentalism uh, really shows up in church. And we need to go back really to our scriptural verses that we find here in the book of Romans, in chapter 13, where Paul starts at the very end of chapter 13 to exhort this community of believers to love one another. And he pulls out the law, thou shalt not kill, uh, commit adultery, all those things, to uh, illustrate what a life of love is meant to be. He uses law to do that. Now, last week... Trent brought us into this segment of Romans 14 that brought up what was called in verse 1 opinions of how one should live. Uh, another, another translation calls it disputable matters. Uh, apparently, this disputable opin- these disputable opinions on how you should live were showing up in the Roman church, particularly when, as, as Trent told us last week, scrupulous Jews... We're bumping into the more freewheeling Roman Gentiles. Now, here's how that could be a problem. Imagine this. Back in the Roman church, everybody's getting to know each other in church. They're like, man, I really like you. Why don't you come over to dinner tomorrow night? One of the Romans asks, maybe one of the Jews do that. And what does the Roman decide to do? He's going to have a pig picking. He's decided, I'm making barbecue. It's my special, and he's a foodie. He's into all kinds of really good kind of barbecue with sauces and stuff. And the Jew shows up, and the Jewish Christian uh, is suddenly unnerved when he sees this pig laid out in front of him. Why is that? Well, the Jews, of course, through their uh, food dietary laws and other things, traditionally would not eat hooved animals. So uh, this is going on. And you can understand how this shows up in very practical ways when they're hanging out together in each other's homes. And so to understand what's happening in the tension of that moment, there are three major values we should consider when you're doing community and you face tension in community. Three major values. And the first value is this, is the value of the law. We in this community at Redeemer, in a Christian church under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, believe that God's law and God's word is our standard of living. In other words, we believe there are matters of truth and lies, good and evil, right and wrong, in how we do life in church, even with each other. So that is a very clear value in a church community, and particularly a Christian community. But there is a second value that's in tension with that value in a community. It is the value of liberty or freedom. Scriptures like Galatians 5 clearly tell us that it is for Freedom that Christ has set us free. That is, when you come to faith in Christ, you and I are free to enjoy creation, the blessings of life, and yes, even some of the former Old Testament laws and even false religious laws that are out there that are no longer applicable don't apply to us personally. We are free to enjoy the gifts of life that come from God. Notice freedom and law are in tension at the same time in a community in how we do life with each other. But there's one more area that Trent brought up. It is these matters of opinions, these matters of conscience or uh, uh, disputable matters that we often forget in how we do community. This is the so-called in-between area of personal convictions uh, that... God both uh, uh, puts between law and freedom. What do I mean? Well, there are personal convictions, applications of God's word in our personal lives that God allows but does not require of everyone else. Uh, Different Christians, in other words, can apply different biblical principles to their lives in different ways. So here's what this means. You ready? With some things in life and how we do life with each other in community, um, on matters of conscience, it is possible for Christians to have two different ways of doing life, and they both are right. That's what Paul has been saying in our text. For people in the early church, uh, that included the whole issue of eating habits. And the practice of certain holidays. For us it could be the way we raise our kids. Or the diet we eat or even the things we drink. In all this Paul is trying to show us the tension between law. Uh, freedom and even matters of conscience in how we do community. Now let me apply this to us today more specifically. Some of us here like to emphasize law, and I would say, good, keep going. That's good stuff. Don't forget liberty. Don't forget liberty to the point that you become legalistic and demand people do what you do, even though there is no ground in Scripture that they should do that very thing. Some of us here emphasize liberty. Good. Don't forget law. And don't un- uh, unwittingly lead others into license and the abuse of, uh, of their liberty in this world. Most of us here need to develop the concept of conscience of, or personal conviction where we learn to honor people's convictions without feeling defensive or unduly guilty about our own way of living. Let me give you an example. The first major fight I had in my marriage occurred over something like this. Does anybody know what this is? Uh, Don't say it yet. This is that thing you put on your head when it's really cold, like today. Especially, you're going to need it, Karis, when you are baptized a little later. (laughs) This thing, when I first got married, I told Elizabeth, hey, I need to get a, uh, I need to get a toboggan to put on my head because it's getting cold. And she said, a toboggan? Why would you put a sled on your head? <laughs> she said, that's a hat. I said, no, it's not. It's a toboggan. Now, she comes, her family comes from a Michigan, so she's northerner by her history, and they call it a hat up north. Well, she and I for years went back and forth on this. No, it's actually a tobacco. No, it's a hat. And we both were right. (laughs) Now I've found out if you're from out west, what is the name of this? Beanie. It has another name out west. And there's probably another name that's floating around here somewhere. All three names for this thing, this cultural item right here, are absolutely right. They just come from difficult, di- different contexts. And what we have to do is develop a vocabulary, a, a category in how we relate to each other, so that there can be differences about what we call some things, or even how we do life with one another, in, uh, in the way that we don't end up passing judgment too quickly on one another. Now... We get into our text and we get to the reasons why Paul exhorts us to pay attention to this stuff in community and not judge too quickly. In verse 7 of our text, Paul says, none of us lives to himself, none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. What is Paul saying? Well, the first reason we shouldn't judge each other too quickly with law and matters of liberty and conscience is we have a purpose and end game in our living. We have a purpose and end game in our living. We live and even die to the Lord. Our trajectory of life is living for Christ, not for our culture, not for ourselves. The world lives for self and asks the self-absorbed question, what's in it for me? But the Christian, however, asks not just what's in it for me, but what's in it for the Lord and his kingdom, which includes brothers and sisters in Christ? I can tell you this. When you stop at start asking that question, the answers you get will prove that the Lord's purpose for your life is way bigger than you expected. As you know, about 13 years ago this month, I actually, with a wonderful group of people, who are many of whom are in this room, planted Redeemer. And... You know, when I planned to Redeem, I had all kinds of ideas in mind of what we were going to do and things like that. And some of those have come true. Some of the the visions and desires of the people in the group came true. And yet what's even more striking to me is how many more things came true and have come to life in our 13 years of history together that I could have never dreamed up, that I could have never thought of in how God redeemed people and how God changed lives how God brought reconciliation in some cases, and a whole host of matters. The interesting thing is, when we live for a larger purpose than ourselves, we actually start to see there's a larger purpose than ourselves. That we are called to live for someone in Christ who is leading us in a purpose that, believe me, is far greater than you can ever dream or come up with. 1 Corinthians 6, which was read earlier, says this profound thing for believers, you are not your own, you were bought with a price. In other words, we were not we were bought by Christ for something bigger than us. Oh, we were redeemed and saved so that our sins would be forgiven, but that's just the first step of a great many towards living a life for for the kingdom of God that works in far bigger ways than we could hope or dream. So we shouldn't be too quick to judge each other because God is sometimes doing something bigger than we are even anticipating or envisioning in our lives today. That brings us a second reason in our text that comes in verse 9 where Paul says an interesting thing. For this end, Christ died and lived again that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Here's the second big reason why we shouldn't be too quick to judge one another. Jesus Christ is Lord in a most surprising way. (laughs) Now, Paul brings the gospel, explicit gospel, into this when he brings up Jesus' death and resurrection. It's as if he was to say Christ died and was resurrected to make our lives about something bigger than just us. (laughs) And there are three implications for that. Within this verse. The first is this Jesus is Lord of all, but the way he proved his lordship was really surprising. He didn't demand allegiance by dominating people and saying, Get down on your knees and worship me now. Never does Jesus do that. The ironic thing is, he was Lord through service. In order to show lordship, he not only healed, he not only calmed storms, Jesus washed disciples' feet. The son of God who created quasars and DNA gets on his knees and does the dirtiest job that even Mike Rowe wouldn't do on his show, Dirty Jobs. That, that service went to its full extent to the cross where Christ died for law-breaking people who uh, wanted to live in bondage to sin, and as a result, were walking all other other people's feelings and relationships. The surprise of Christ's life, however, shows up in Mark 10.45. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. The second implication connected to this is that Jesus is Lord of your life in a surprising way. He gets the final say on what we are to do with our lives. He calls us to a life of loving service in community with very different people. (laughs) Jesus, in other words, is Lord over the differences in the church. The third implication is this. Christ was resurrected from the dead and empowers us through the Spirit to live different lives now. And he calls us to live the path of humiliation and exaltation. What does that mean for us? Well, that means when you serve Christ in newness of life, when you're in community, you will have to learn how to suffer in order to love well. That's right, if you're going to do church, you learn how to give up what you want for something bigger, to suffer for something larger than yourself in order to love well. Romans 12.1 has told us this, even in this book, it tells us we must offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Do you think that'll be painless? Do you think it'll be painless to be in community with one another? When we face people with very different values, politics, huh, wait till in a couple of years when it kicks in, we have to remember Jesus is our Lord. We must be willing to suffer and love well. This is a surprising path of life. You give up to gain, you die to live in order to do church. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ today or if you're a young follower just trying to figure this out, I want to ask you a question. How much longer in your life are you going to keep demanding your own rights that you get what you want because, well, you're passionate about it? Well, I'd like to say that the way to deep love and following Christ is humiliation and exaltation. It's faith that you actually learn to give up just as Christ gave up his life on the cross so that we could do life together in community. That is a costly bargain. But it is one that is pretty extraordinary, as we'll see in a second. So we're called to live in community, uh, balancing law, liberty, and matters of conscience in Christ. And we do so because we live for some, something bigger than us, someone bigger than us, and because we follow the Lord in a life of giving up to gain. Now, that brings us to the final reason in our text that we shouldn't judge each other so quickly, in a diverse community with a bunch of lifestyles. And it's in verse 10. It says this, Why do you pass judgment on, on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. This is pretty extraordinary. This is talking about that one day Jesus is going to come back. And when he comes back, it will change everything. We will all stand before Jesus as the judge. Every single one of us. No one person here won't. And Paul starts this whole picture of the judgment by asking two penetrating questions of us right now. Why do you pass judgment? And I think he's talking about the law people here who are quick to pass judgment relative to scrupulous standards. And then he asks, why do you despise your brother? And I think he's talking there to the liberty people who get mad at the law people because they're becoming a killjoys or at least they perceive them to be. Paul is getting at a motivation here. What is going on in your heart really? And as a result, he's calling us as believers in a diverse community to do what 2 Corinthians 13 says, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Before we go judging others too quickly, we're called to judge ourselves first through the eyes of God. Are we living consistently with Christian faith in practice? Are we really following tr- Christ? Or are we following ourselves in some cases? In this year of grounding, it is very important, even absolutely crucial, that we learn how to do this in community. Instead of jumping to conclusions about each other, uh, dare to pray Psalm 139. Have you guys ever prayed the end of Psalm 139? It says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any hurtful way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Do not pray this prayer if you don't want to grow. But if you have strains in your relationships, dare to pray this and God will reveal to you in time through his word and spirit how you are to grow and change. What will he reveal? <laughs> the layers of self-righteousness that we all have. Every single one, of us, including me. This week I was struck by the layers of self-righteousness in my heart. How I want to defend myself, and protect myself over matters where I'm defended and protected in Christ. All of us carry around something in our hearts that we hold dear over and above our brother and sister in the Lord. Every one of us has something. I don't know what that is for you. I know what it is for me, at least some of the things. The gospel tells us that we bring these things to the Holy Spirit and let the word reveal to us what is true and right and good so that we might change and repent. And why is that? Well, verses 10 through 11 tell us that we will stand before the judgment throne, the Bema seat of God. Jesus is going to return. He's going to come back at the end of the age. He will resurrect the dead and he will translate the living so that body and souls are together in their glory forms. And every human being will stand before Christ as a judge, even Christians. <laughs> That's right. Now, someone may ask as a Christian, wait a minute now, we're going to stand before the judgment throne of Christ. Is that a second judgment? Is that a, a second justification for you theological types so that it's possible that I might not get in? And my answer would be no. Romans 3 through 5 says, if you trust in Christ alone for your salvation, you are in, with the, clear, in the clear with Christ and with eternal life in him. But at the final judgment. God will judge our works not for eternal life. But for rewards. Rewards. What we do in this life. In Jesus name. He will test as First Corinthians 3. That vivid passage of how the fire will test all that we do. Here's the implication of that. It comes from Maximus. You know, it's my favorite phrase from Maximus in the movie Gladiator. He says, what we do now, men, echoes in eternity. What we do now in community, in relationships, in our families, in church, in how we treat one another, echoes in eternity. What choices you make so that you don't judge too quickly that you seek to understand before you make yourself understood can last forever. The beauty of that is that one day we're going to, every kneel, bow, and every tongue confess before Christ that He's the only one who could pull that off in our hearts and in this community. It's pretty extraordinary to think about that very different people could come together And actually worship the same God and learn to love one another even in our differences on matters of of conscience. Should we be surprised? It was predicted in scripture. Isaiah 45 is quoted in our text here. Which is all about all these people coming from all over the world to the one who says, I am the Lord. In other words, I am the Lord of the conscience. I am the one who is Lord over each one of my own And that, guys, is being fulfilled right here in the church. I mean, that's pretty exciting to me. When I read this text, I'm thinking, uh, when is this going to happen? And the answer is, it's happening now. It was happening in the Roman church. It's happening here at Redeemer. Very different people with very different lifestyles working in law and liberty are learning how to navigate matters of conscience together. The beauty of that, is we get to be with God in eternity, giving an account of ourselves to him. That is, how I treat you and how you treat me, how we treat each other, will be discussed by God. <laughs> so, live in community as if God gave you a loving and truthful evaluation of how you do relationships. Relationships. With very different Christians, make it your aim to please God. As Second Corinthians 5 says, make it your aim to please Him who gave up everything for us in Christ. In conclusion, Lauren Hill is a basketball player from Mount St. Joseph's College. Some of you may not have heard her name, but she has been... She was diagnosed this past fall with an inoperable brain tumor in which she was not expected to live through this winter. Back in November, her team, her basketball team from Mount St. Joseph's College wanted to give her a gift. They wanted to give Lauren Hill an unforgettable basket in the most extraordinary game of their lives. They practiced the play together Sophomore guard Webb would feed Taylor Brown on the left wing. Junior center Tara Dennis would set a screen for Hill so Hill could cut across. Uh, The paint, catch the ball, and make a layup. The problem was they had to do this in a hurry. They weren't sure that Lauren Hill would even make it through December. Her brain tumor was growing at the base of her Uh, her brain so quickly that she was getting tireder and tireder every day. So, they petitioned the NCAA to have their first game against Hiram College two weeks earlier than they had scheduled. NCAA agreed, and Hiram College agreed. And Hiram College even agreed to let Lauren Hill shoot a basket unopposed defensively at the beginning of the game. And so they did it. Webb to Brown to Dennis to Hill, Lauren made the layup to the scream of 12,000 fans at Xavier University. When asked by the play-by-play announcer uh, to share her emotions about the moment, the 19-year-old who had only weeks to live said, I've never felt so good in my entire life. Let me ask you something. When you get to the end of life, before the throne of God, what's going to be more important to you? A lifestyle that you're trying to build right now? Or that you gave someone the assist of love? In the name of Christ, knowing what really matters. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do pray today that you would continue to work within our church and within our hearts, spirit of love and compassion, and that you would help us to learn the differences between law, liberty, and even matters of conscience, and that we would become more of a community that seeks to understand before we make ourselves understood. Praise your name that you are working in our midst. You're bringing so many of so many unique talents and abilities, so many different personalities. And we pray that those backgrounds would be meshed and that we would learn to love because that's what really matters in the end with you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.